You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. And not even, the word overcome is so strange because I feel like part of my success has been my chair. That being different and being an original because I've had to be has been a part of why I was acknowledged this summer at the Tonys. Because the truth is nobody else is doing what I'm doing. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. You're listening to the Producer's Perspective Podcast with your host, Tony Award winner, Ken Davenport. It ain't so much a question of not knowing what to do. That is Tony Award winning actress Ali Stroker, who is this week's guest on the podcast, singing from the Tony Award winning revival of Oklahoma, currently playing at Circle in the Square. Ali's this week's guest on the podcast. You're going to hear her amazing story. Uh, look, this is a challenging business for anyone to begin with, but Ali has faced some very specific challenges that most of us have never had to face. And you're going to hear her incredible story and how we, she triumphed over incredible odds in just a few moments. But for now, let me thank Curtain Call. Curtain Call for sponsoring Ali's episode. Curtain Call is the platform for all theater professionals on stage or backstage, creative or cast, producer or theater. It's free to join. You just need an email address and you can create your own profile. It's kind of like IMDB so people can see who you've worked with, not just who you've worked for. Easy way to network and actually look for work. You can view and apply for jobs directly through the platform. So just go to Curtain Call online to sign up. They have an awesome Instagram page as well with incredible photography. Guess what the handle is? At Curtain Call. So check it out, curtaincallonline.com or at curtaincall on Instagram and thank them for sponsoring Ali Stroker's episode on the Producers Perspective podcast coming up next. Let's go out with just a little more Ali. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective podcast. My name is Ken Davenport. This week on the podcast, one of the greatest stories that Broadway has seen in the last several years. She is the Tony Award winning star of the current revival of Oklahoma. Eight times a week, she sings the song, I'm Just a Girl Who Can't Say No. And I think that's because she actually doesn't know the word no. It's not in her vocabulary. Please welcome Tony Award winner, Ms. Allie Stroker. Welcome, Allie. Wow, what an intro. Thank you. Well, all true. So Allie did win that Tony Award for Oklahoma. She's also appeared on Broadway in my production of Spring Awakening, where she made history as the first person who uses a wheelchair for mobility to appear on a Broadway stage. I'm still, like, amazed at that 
was the first time that happened. It took yeah. a long time. Uh, finalist on the Glee Project and appeared on the show as well. Uh, you're a Jersey girl, is that right? You're from That's Jersey. Right. So tell me how you were first exposed to theater. Where did you get the, the bug? The bug. I was introduced to theater when I was seven years old down on the Jersey Shore. Uh, our neighbors were the Antonovs. Um, Jack Antonoff is now the lead singer of Bleachers, um, a small band, um, not so small. And uh, Rachel Antonoff is a designer. And Rachel what, had just come home from Stage Door Manor. And decided. Ooh, Stage Door Manor. Yeah. For those of you who don't know out there, that is like the theater camp. Exactly, to go to. in the brochures. And so Rachel came home and decided that she was going to direct a production of Annie in our backyard. And she cast me as Annie. And that summer we rehearsed all summer long. And um, at the end of August, we put the show up with um, our, our neighbors came and sat in our planters. And the deck was the stage. And then um, we hung a backdrop over like this area where there was a ramp for me to get in and out of the house. And can I fell in love. You had never performed. How old were you again? Seven. Seven. Yeah. And you hadn't done anything. Have you? Were you a singer? Were you? What were? You? No. So I um, was injured in a car accident when I was two, and um, after the accident, I became really introverted, and I was, you know, pretty traumatized from the experience. And my mom said that she always had music on, that that was a part of my healing and coming out of my shell again, but. Both my mom and dad said that it wasn't until Annie that my personality and my um, just sort of my light came through again. And um, I remember being so nervous for the show, but then being on stage for the first time was so powerful for me because I was used to being stared at out in public. But for the first time when I was on stage, it felt like people were looking at me and I was in control and I had the power and I just became hooked. Plus, I loved the energy and like the drama around putting a show together. I was just like, this is amazing. And so after that, I went home and I started taking voice lessons and my parents had this strategy with me and my brother, we were both injured, that we weren't gonna put any attention on what I couldn't do. We were only gonna put attention on what I could do. And singing was one of those things. And performing was one of those things. So I just dove straight in and started taking voice lessons and tried to become a part of any sort of theater programs in our town. And Two years after Annie, I did um, The Wiz at our elementary school, and they cast me as Dorothy. And my mom said that was the first time she realized, she said she turned to my dad in the car and she said, we've got something really special on our hands, and neither of them were performers. And they were like, we need to start talking to people about what to do. Because my mom was like, when you were on stage, you didn't see anybody else. You know, she's my mother. But, you know, that my light really came through and there was something very special. So that was sort of the beginning. It's so amazing to hear you say 
my light came through because since the first day I met you, I remember just like she is just a beacon of light. It just pours out of you. And it, it is so hard for me to even imagine you introverted. Yeah, I know. I know so many people say that. And um, I don't really remember myself introverted. It's like I didn't allow myself to feel the world and my life until I found this thing that gave me a purpose. Because I think the identity of being a girl in a wheelchair was just something I didn't like. So I sort of shut it out. But to be a young girl who was a singer and a dancer and an actress felt so powerful. So I really say that like musical theater saved my life because it gave me this other identity that felt exciting. Yeah, what would you be doing right now if your friend hadn't brought home Annie? So she always says, so the really cool tie to Rachel, again, was Rachel designed my Tony dress that I wore to the Tony's. How amazing. She was amazing. But she always says, she said, you would have found it. You would have found it. But I, I don't know. I don't know what I would be doing. Um, I can't imagine doing anything else. And one of the other really special things that I sort of grew up with was my parents always talked about giving back, how important it was always especially because we were given so much. You know, after the accident, um, there were so much support given to my family. And so that has become just an essential part of my life that I perform, but I also am always looking for ways to give back to people. And something really beautiful happened when I became an actor and... and um, and began to get some publicity was I realized there were so many people out there with disabilities that were needing, wanting, and ready to see themselves represented. And I was one of those kids. When I was a kid, I came in and saw tons of shows, but never saw anyone like me on stage. So in many ways, this dream of being on Broadway was something I always wanted, but I didn't know quite how it would happen because I had never seen it done before. And I believe that representation does that for young people. It allows them to see that something is possible. I was so fortunate to have parents that said, even if it hasn't been done, it is possible. You are a superstar, you can do anything. And then I happened to meet the right people like you and like Michael Arden who were like, yeah, this has never been done. First of all, that's crazy. And second of all, we're doing this no matter what it takes. And so it's changed my entire life, but it's also been my dream from when I was seven. So I, we certainly know that environment plays such a great deal. And I love the shout out to your parents who obviously had a massive impact on you. But there had to be something in you that made you like it must have been demoralizing to go to big Broadway shows not see anyone else on the stage like you and then to go home and to really get like no no I'm going to keep doing this because one day that's going to be me how how do you as a young person summon up that courage well I was given a 
lot of positive reinforcement growing up. My voice teachers and my teachers and anybody who was working with me, you know, it was very important to my parents that I was only surrounded by positive people. And that was like from physical therapists to nurses to, um, you know, the kids I was hanging out with, we are only creating a positive environment because they know how much, they knew how much I needed confidence. Now, I also think that my love for singing and being on stage was so strong. Mm. Like, to this day, when I don't feel well, I will go sing because for me, it's like, some, it's like the same thing as someone going out for a run. Like, it kicks my endorphins. Like, it's this insane experience for me because when I'm singing, I feel this sense of freedom that I don't feel anywhere else in my life. And I really believe it's because for me, having a physical disability, you feel your limitations all the time. I feel what it's like to not be able to jump out of the car. With my voice, there's no limits. And that is a powerful feeling for someone who lives in a body, I am paralyzed, that, you know, has these very concrete limitations. So it sounds like there were a lot of positive people in your life. And again, I love that your parents were just like, we're going to surround her with light. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously it, it came through. But there had to be some moments where people were like, you, you can't, this is not going to work out for you. Like, it's yeah. just anything specific that you remember? Yeah, there were there were many moments that I remember people sort of saying like, this isn't going to work. Like, because the stage isn't accessible or like we don't know how this is going to work when I got to NYU um, I was accepted into Cap 21 but then they weren't sure they didn't want me to take the dance curriculum they weren't sure if it was going to work out and I had my mom was really great about pushing me to advocate for myself even at a young age like making phone calls to my PT and to doctors, but this was a moment where it was like, I felt like, oh, I'm accepted in this program, but then to sort of feel like, well, we don't know if you can do it. So there was this little piece of me that was like, I'm gonna show you all that I can do it. And also just a genuine love and, and desire to be the best actor that I could be and the best singer that I could be um I also just there was nothing that was distracting me away from performing I loved performing so much so all of the people that came in and were like well we don't know how this is gonna work or like one time my mom took me to a dance class and like the teacher just had no idea what to do with me so I sat and watched those were really painful moments but in those moments, I think because of how I was raised and how my parents sort of created this mechanism in me to always find a way to do it, even if it was different than everyone else. So I call it translation, which sort of is interesting that I ended up doing Spring Awakening with Beth West, that when you have a disability as a performer, your greatest tool is your ability to translate. Because I've never done a show where everyone's in wheelchairs, ever. But, you know, when I need to translate the movement or 
or whatever it is we're doing on stage, it's so automatic for me. And, um, and so in those moments of pain of having to watch, I realized, oh, in watching, I can become my greatest ally and, and figure out how to do it on my body and the way that I do things. Did you ever want to quit? No. Never? No. Never. It's not in my mechanisms. It's not in my... So that was another thing we were raised with, that you never, ever, ever give up. Ever. My dad was a coach. <laughs> and so we were raised with all these mantras. And uh, he had gone through a really difficult time. His dad died when he was young. And his mom gave that to him, of this, like, never giving up. And you can do anything, whatever the challenge might be. And for him, you know, he talks about how after we were hurt, it was like his greatest challenge and, and he was going to coach and father us through it. And my mom was just really, really smart and sort of a brilliant advocate. So together they really gave me these tools to say, okay, when someone says we can't do it, if there's a will, there is a way. So Allie, you get to have the will and then together you'll find the way. And, um, and so I, so for me, like giving up or like, you know, I've had awful days, but there's never been a part of me that was like, I can't do this ever. And another piece that I think is so important that not a lot of people talk about is patience. One of the things that my disability has taught me is like ninja patience, like having to have the most patience at the at the times that you don't want to have patience and that has come into you know into practice for me in my career right you've been it's not like you just started doing this last no. week no 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 and so you know in those years after college when i graduated and moved to la because i thought maybe the tv industry might be more open to my chair and glee had just hit the air and so I was like that's a world that's already created that I could fit into um but really like not no doors were opening and I was just bored and I was like trying to write my own show and I was meeting a lot of people and that was is it is a huge part of my my success and getting to where I have gotten is relationships with people because when you're different, people have to trust you. They have to trust that you are going to follow through, that you're going to be cool in a room with people that might not know how to handle something. And so I really, um, I'm really glad that I had those years where I wasn't working or wasn't doing shows because it taught me patience. And I, I am so, so grateful for where I am now because of all of that all of those challenges and how difficult it was to get there. And that's where you met Michael and where Spring Awakening began, right? Yeah. How did that, yeah. just tell everyone how that started for you. Yeah, so I was in, I was living in LA and uh, I had just filmed Glee and being very young, I thought once I got to Glee and I did that show, everything else would be easy. And sometimes, you know, when you have 
your first break, you think that like now things will come easily, but that's not the way the industry works. <laughs> I had the same moment. I one of my first shows, uh, actually my two first shows, both got good New York Times reviews, yeah. and I literally for Alter Boys saw the New York Times review and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Royalties will start pouring, and this is gonna be the easiest <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had to grind that thing like crazy for yeah. years and years and years. Yes, yeah, it's yes. never as easy as you think it's gonna be when you first break no, through. No, and I, I was, I was so sort of shocked by it. Um, I was surprised that things weren't coming a little bit more easily, but thank goodness they weren't because I had decided to change agents because I was living um, in LA and I was my agent was a New York based agent. So I changed agencies and my first audition they sent me out on was for Deaf West's Spring Awakening that was happening in a little theater down in downtown LA. And I, uh, I went to the audition and I of course knew that Michael was directing it. And I had known of Michael through social circles, but I didn't, I hadn't met him until that day when I came in and I sang a song from the Glee Project, which is crazy. And I got called back and in the callback, we had to sign and sing. And it was a moment for me of like, feeling like I was like perfectly in my purpose because signing is all with your hands. And my hands was something I had and that I could do and expressing myself through my upper body and through my arms and through my hands had been my entire life. So learning sign language and then getting to sing while I was signing was like, this is heaven. So I remember going in and doing Purple Summer and they were like, wow, like, have you signed before? Like, you feel like such a natural signer. And I was like, I've never signed, I've never used sign language, but I have been using my arms and my hands to express myself my entire life and so I ended up being cast in the show and then we did it in downtown LA and then we did it in um, in Beverly Hills and then the show came to Broadway and I was in South Africa teaching doing a give back program I remember this now, and yeah. um, I got an email from Ken and one of our other producers and it said that the show was coming to Broadway that fall. This was in June. And I remember like being stunned and then crying and laughing at the same time. And then telling all the kids that I was teaching, I'm gonna be on Broadway, I'm gonna make my Broadway debut. And one of the kids raised her hand and she said, Miss Allie, what's Broadway? <laughs> the, the biggest ego check of all. Yes, it was amazing. <laughs> amazing because it put everything in perspective and it reminded me how important it was to be a human being and to continue to give back and also go after my dreams and do all of them all at the same time so that's kind of the story of Spring Awakening. yeah whenever anyone in this business you want an ego check go to like middle america i this happened to me last week we were opening the tour of once on this island i went to a yeah. pizza shop that was literally four blocks from the theater where one of the sign was going to be and i they said why are you here and i said oh i'm doing this musical and the woman looked at me and was like a oh, musical you know i've never seen a musical oh and gosh. it's mind-blowing it just reminds That's, you how small our world is it is and it is it is so refreshing for me at least 
to meet people who are just in another world and their appreciation or their curiosity or their interest in what we do is always so beautiful because you know this industry can really dig you into a hole and you sort of believe that you're the only thing that exists and then to sort of step out of it I just think those moments are so important <laughs> for sanity. <laughs> How are attitudes changing? I assume that it's a bit different now than it was when you started. Tell me a little bit about the growth of that process and then tell me where you think we need to go with it. Yeah. So things have changed a lot since I graduated from college. Uh, when I graduated from college, I couldn't really get an audition. Um, and I had agents, which was really amazing. They came to see my showcase um, at Cap 21, which, by the way, everything worked out really beautifully at Cap 21. But, you know, they would pitch me to come in for something, and I was so fortunate to have them because they were sort of receiving the no's, and I was just not hearing anything. But I think it would have been really hard for me to hear people say, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. Um, and... Over the past, it's now been 10 years since I graduated, um, I have seen more and more people um, have a real interest in diversity, in um, casting people that are out of the box. And um, also, I, I, I really believe that we have seen what the successes of creating diversity, like Hamilton. Like we have seen that this is something that the world wants and needs. And um, when I got cast in Oklahoma um, at St. Anne's Warehouse, I had no idea it was gonna come to Broadway, but anytime someone comes to me and it's like, this production is not traditional, that is sort of my type not traditional which is funny to me that as an actor you sometimes have to think that way like where where would I fit but something that I've learned in the past I would say three or four years is don't sell yourself short because to me Oklahoma is as traditional as it comes I never thought when I was learning about Rogers and Hammerstein that I would ever be in one of their shows at a commercial level because I always thought that those shows were going to require people that in my mind looked and moved traditionally. And what I'm realizing is that theater and revivals especially have changed that. I also believe that in many ways I could blame my chair or my disability for like the challenges at the beginning, but I think it comes down to the fact that like people just didn't know me. And part of succeeding in this business is allowing yourself to be known and allowing people to see you. And that sort of comes in many layers for me because a lot of my life I've wanted to control how people see me but I know now, especially, I will never be able to control that. 
but to trust that who I am as a human and as a performer is something that people are interested in. And as a little girl, I think I was scared of, um, at times, like how I would make my way in the world because I felt like people felt bad for me. And of course, that piece of me always lives inside. And arriving at this place in my life where I am not only getting to work at the highest level of my industry, which is what I always wanted, but to be acknowledged and to receive a Tony Award for me is like, whoa, like the stars have aligned. But even more than that, like Ali, you were meant for this and you are in a wheelchair and you are paralyzed and you do have physical limitations and you belong here. And I guess like, I think that my story in many ways, after I won the Tony, like the response I got from people was so huge and so emotional because I think in many ways, my story represents for people their own challenges and to see someone succeed and overcome and not even the word overcome is so strange because I feel like part of my success has been my chair that being different and being an original because I've had to be has been a part of why I was acknowledged this summer at the Tonys because the truth is nobody else is doing what I'm doing and I encourage anybody who is listening to this to think about you know your greatest challenge can become your greatest opportunity and that is what my life and my career has been because I I have tried so hard and at times it's been excruciating to wrap my arms around my challenge my wheelchair to love it to celebrate it to use it to my advantage let's just talk about you as an actor period yeah. tell me about like how you dove into the role of Edo Annie like yeah. what, what do you do as an actress do you research I mean especially a role like that that has been done by probably about oh 850,000 right. people over the right. I mean had you seen it before do you try to block that stuff out what do you do yeah so I know Oklahoma well uh, I was introduced to uh, Oklahoma at the Paper Mill Playhouse Summer Conservatory and I had seen Oklahoma the musical on VHS in school, you know, they put it on the music teacher. Um, and I always thought that Ado Annie felt like a caricature to me. She never felt real. And she was always played like she wasn't very smart. So when I got this audition, even before I got cast, when I got this audition, I am really lucky. My boyfriend is an acting coach and a director. And so he has helped me since we've been together four years now, you know, with when you are given an audition and given a role when you're cast, that everything you need is right there in the text, that the story is right in front of you. You don't need to go off imagining things. Now, for me, that was a little bit confusing at first because I was like, well, but Ado Annie isn't in a chair. And he would always say, but in this production, even for the audition, she is. 
So allow the text to inform you and all of your choices. So that's first and foremost, that the text will guide you, that these American classics, Oklahoma has been around for as long as it has been because it is that strong of a story. Okay, so that's first and foremost. The next part, and especially for Oklahoma, was the music. And I love country music, like, a lot. And so this was sort of exciting to feel what Can't Say No felt like in my voice. And then when I got into the audition, they told me, you know, now do it like your version. You're at a bar singing this song. And, you know, all of the people who I've listened to over the years come through. Dolly Parton, uh, Deanna Carter, like all of these country singers that I just love. And so that was really exciting to sort of feel the music, and I knew that they were going to do different arrangements. So this was really sort of thrilling to feel like, oh, there's some play in that. But the other thing about Ado Annie and about any role that might appear that the character is not very smart, I never feel like that reads to play somebody dumb. That's a judgment on the character. To me, Ado Annie's really smart. She just has a lot of questions. And she wants the answers now. So the, that is my objective through the entire show is to get the answers and to explore. These are two guys that I wanna explore, that I wanna hang out with, that I want to um, test the waters with. And to me, that is also the other big part of it. It's like, what do you want? And to play that objective through. And it has been, it has worked. It is, it is, it is very helpful. And what about directors? Talk to me about how the director-actor relationship is for you. Like, what do you look for in a great director? Well, what's great about my chair is that the director, ha like, there's, I'm not hiding anything when I come into a room. So either a director's, like, interested or not. They're curious or they're not. And so this was, like, the same thing with dating. It's, like, either, like, you're, like, it's sort of, like, the first hurdle. We're already over the first hurdle of, like, are you curious and interested? Great. Okay, now let's talk. So for me, a director, a really great director allows, um, an actor to do some of the leading in the room. And what has been great about working with Michael and with Daniel Fish is that, Michael Arden, is that they have a, they know that I know my physical world better than anybody in the room. So they allow me to discover and play. But also they keep me, you know, really clear about what my objectives are in the story and the storytelling element like for both of these productions that I'm talking about Spring Awakening and Oklahoma they were revivals and they had really strong sort of visions for the storytelling and to me a great director is a really good storyteller and and a great leader because I think it's the hardest job in the room to lead that many artists down one path that's your vision.
that's a really challenging job. So I really respect the job of the director, and uh, I always hope that it will be a collaborative relationship and not just do this, do this. <laughs> Your dream role, something you want to play? My dream role is to originate a role in a new musical because to me, that is where, as an actor, I get to be most creative. Um, and to get to work with a writer in the room, to me, is always just exhilarating. And would you want that role to be a role that was a woman in a chair or just a woman, and then you would bring yourself to it and the piece would morph as a result? Yeah. So this has been an interesting thing since after the Tonys, there's been a lot of projects that have come my way that are a character for a woman in a wheelchair. But the way in which those characters are written, unfortunately, really don't, I'm not interested, I'm not interested in telling the story of disability. To me, that is like something that's been done over and over and over again and feels like it corners the disabled community in the world because it's the same story of challenge and then overcoming. To me, I wanted I want to tell a story about a woman who is after something and she happens to be in a chair because that also feels like the story that I've been waiting to see. That it's not, you know, Nessa where her life is horrible because she's in a wheelchair and then once Alphaba like sets a spell on her, then she is better and she is now cured and she is now happy. To me, that's not the story that I'm interested in telling. And with all due respect to Wicked, it's like one of my favorite shows in the world. But like seeing that show as a teenager and like feeling like, oh my God, here's my role. And then in the second act, she has to walk. I was devastated because I was like, oh my God, like I'll never be able to play the one role on Broadway for the girl in a wheelchair. But that was also the greatest gift because I've never played a character in a wheelchair. I've never been cast in that role. <laughs> so That's such a fascinating thing that of course I would never think about it in that way, but what a devastating moment. Oh, I was like, she walks? <laughs> no! That's not the way it's supposed to go. And also, like, for me, like, you know, this is sort of a side note, but people used to ask me, like, if there was a cure and you would, if you, you could walk again, would you want to do that? And I was like, I, I don't think so. I, I can't imagine. It would be so scary to me. Like, the same would be opposite for you if one day, like, you were in a chair. Like, it's it, it's just another world. Like, that would mean people wouldn't hold the doors for me. <laughs> and, like, what about, you know, like, all these small things that are a part of my life that I do feel like are a part of who I am. Like, I don't ever get in and out of a cab in New York City without interacting. And, like, allowing and trusting someone I don't know to pick up my wheelchair and put it in their car. And like, there's a dance with all of these strangers every day when you live in a wheelchair because you need help. And I just can't 
imagine. And anyway, I I digress, but Wicked, you know, was this character that I thought, oh, this is the answer, and then realized that, oh, I would have to. That that would be way too easy. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm going to have to find the answer myself. Advice for anyone out there looking to break into this business? Work your tail off. Okay, that's easy to say. But what I mean by that is there are going to be a lot of quiet moments. And in those moments, find what you can do to enhance yourself as an artist, as a, um, as a person who... You know, if you know your dream is to be performing, how can you constantly be bettering yourself, taking classes, meeting people, going to see theater, collaborating, creating, you know, and especially now in the world we live in, there's so many opportunities to create your own work. And it's so scary to do and I used to use the line like, but I'm not a writer. That's a nice excuse, but like, you know a lot of writers. And, you know, when you're not able to be employed by somebody else, like employ yourself. And then also like develop yourself as a human being. It's really easy to just get like in this grind of like only ever working. And in the past year for me, that has been tricky. I've needed to find opportunities to get out of this bubble of work and like touch base with who I am as a person as well. But to not give up and uh, this is my motto, but I think it I think it could apply to anybody, but you can turn your limitations into your opportunities and they will set you apart and make you an original and you will be able to create something that has never been done before. Speaking of making your own opportunities, you mentioned somewhere in there and talking about your L.A. story that you were thinking about writing your own show or still yes. doing this. Yes. So I have written two one woman shows already, and I am currently in the process of writing another one, which I'll be doing at Lincoln Center at the end of February. Fantastic. You heard it here, everybody. Go check it out. OK, my last question, which yes. is my genie question. OK. I want you to imagine the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you. And look, you've been such an inspiration to so many people. And the genie wants to thank you for that. By granting you one wish, what's the one thing that in your experience has really, you, you are such a positive light. It's like I could turn all the lights off and see everything in this room <laughs> right now. But what's the one thing that does make you so angry or mad or makes you want to throw something that you'd ask this genie to wish away in an instant about working in this business, about Broadway? Good question. The, the thing that comes to mind the most is around accessibility and how frustrating it is that for so many performers, the door cannot even be opened because there are accessibility issues backstage and on stage. And we talk a lot about, you know, practicalities. But again, if there is a will, there is a way. 
always to create access. And so I sort of bring this wish to you as a producer that we come together and figure out ways to create accessibility for performers with disabilities. Because it blows my mind still that all of the houses are accessible, but backstage is not. And this is something that I want to start working on, especially with um, a lot of these cabaret clubs. A lot of those places are where I was seen for the first time. And a lot of those places I have been carried on and off the stages. And there has to be a better way because part of fully embracing this entire movement and this community is saying we will create access. And this goes back to like civil rights stuff, Kim, because if there isn't accessibility, I in many ways am not welcome with who, for who I am. And we will make excuses because it's always easy to accommodate for the venue. But at some point, and for me, it's now, I won't, if, I won't perform anywhere that's not accessible. And if it's not accessible, we have to come together and figure out a way. And I don't mean just physical accessibility. I feel like there should be caption, captioning everywhere. We live in the digital age. There's so many ways to do this and creatively and beautifully and powerfully. And the same thing goes for the ramps and the lifts and the, the accessibility. We should not hide it. This is a part of our world. And um, I will quote my boyfriend. We, many ways, are trying to preserve history by not making things accessible. But he says, is that really a part of our history that we want to preserve? The part of history where people with disabilities were not welcome to public places? I think not. So to me, that is the part of this that is frustrating and I feel real responsibility for all the people coming up behind me because if I don't at some point say no, it will never change. So that's one of my big things right now that backstage and these theaters and clubs and cabaret places need to get it together, not just for patrons where they're making money but for people to work. You know, before you said, oh, uh, if, I, if I was suddenly cured, uh, people wouldn't open doors for me anymore. <laughs> well, you are opening doors for so many people with statements and your strength. It's incredibly inspirational because what, what a strong statement and what a strong stance. And I have no doubt with your passion uh, that you're going to make some significant changes in this business and in the world. So I thank you for it. I thank you for opening my eyes yeah. to this world. I mean, I literally am like, what the F? We got to make sure this is, because if we don't, like, 
what's great about you is you've proven how incredibly talented and how many artists there are like you out there but just haven't had that accessibility. And we're denying ourselves the experience of seeing people like you on stage if we don't make it accessible. Yeah. So everyone out there, we're going to do this. This is going to be a big goal. Yeah. It's going to take some time. But with you leading the charge, I have no doubt we'll Thank do it. Thanks. Thanks for being Thank here. You. Thanks for everything. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time on the Producers Perspective Podcast. Big thanks again to Allie for being with us today. Don't forget all of you out there, theater makers. Super Conference is coming up November 16th and 17th. Joe Iconis, Heidi Schreck, keynote speakers and Tony Award winners all over the place on panels in the audience. It's going to be an incredible weekend, November 16th and 17th, tppsuperconference.com to get your ticket. If you're excited for this new podcast season, we're doing a little differently this year, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, review us on Apple Podcasts. Just helps other people find us and spread the word about the theater and our incredible guests at the same time. If you want to keep up with Allie, follow Allie Stroker on Instagram. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram as well, at Ken Davenport B-Way or on Facebook. And now, this is like one of the most fun things I do every week. We break a new songwriter. This week's hashtag songwriter of the week. Today we'll be hearing The Beanstalk from the musical Renaissance and written by Edna St. Vincent Millay and Dick Scanlon. The full album available on iTunes and Spotify. We will see you next week with a brand new podcast episode and a brand new songwriter of the week. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you then. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.